Hello and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Today we are joined by Eric James Stevens talking about the idea of higher higher ed. Dr. Eric James Stevens is the founder of Higher Higher Ed, an initiative to help K-11 and higher ed workers transition into industry professionals. He earned his PhD in Rhetorics, Communication, and Information Design from Clemson University in 2018. After working for two years in developmental writing and academic coaching, Eric was laid off due to the COVID-19 pandemic. He, his wife, who was also laid off from her university teaching job, and three kids stored their stuff in Washington and moved to Maryland to live with his parents. Eric joins us from his childhood bedroom turned storage unit turned makeshift office in Finksburg, Maryland. Eric, welcome to the Career Builders podcast. Uh, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you, Mike and Lisa. Oh, it's our pleasure. This is going to be a very yeah, fun conversation. Excited. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. So let's let's dive into this a little bit more. Your story. You're an academic who's looking to trans transition into industry yourself. Tell us a bit more about how you arrived at this interesting point in your career. Um, yeah. So right now, um, as as you said, Mike, I'm I'm living in my parents' basement in Maryland, uh, just north of Baltimore. Um, we came here because uh, my, my wife and I were both working at a university in Washington. Um, I got the news a little bit earlier, um, or several months earlier, that my contract would not be renewed. Um, and that, uh, so by contract, I mean, I was teaching uh, writing and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I was told that I wasn't going to be brought back. Um, it was really frustrating for me. I was sent into like for, for an academic, this is really, um, it's my identity a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's who I am. It's, um, I've spent years, um, investing myself into this culture. Um, and now I've, I was, I was released. I was laid off from this, um, from this position, this university. And I started, I looked into, um, other jobs that were, that I was qualified to do, um, because of my higher education background. And um, those jobs just started, literally, they just started disappearing. Um, they weren't there anymore. Um, I'd get mm -hmm. emails saying that this job post has been suspended. Um, and so I was like, okay, I need to go back into industry. I did some sales uh, for quite a few years um, and I was good at it. Uh, I just, it wasn't really my passion, but you know, I could go cause you know, I have to support my family. Um, and so I can find another way to, to uh, fulfill that passion um, in industry. Um, but yeah, I, I went there and uh, so, I mean, yeah, I guess that's where I am right now. Like how I got here is just, um, I'm like a traditional academic. Like I went through graduate school, got my master's, got my PhD. I want to be a professor. Um, and those jobs just aren't there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. I think that's a really important thing that you've just mentioned right now, right off the bat with your story, which I think is true for a lot of people and this is this has been such an unusually difficult time for many many people i personally kind of feel like i'm a little bit insulated from it i actually like did the opposite i started a new job at this at the beginning of this pandemic but that is really the exception and a lot of people listening i think could probably relate more with what you just said in terms of just being forced into something that because what you were expecting wasn't there and was happening across the board I think that's a really important starting point for us because there's a lot of people that have experienced that right now. Cool. Can you talk about, so, I mean, I, you've kind of answered this question a little mm -hmm. bit, like 
is there anything else that goes into why this kind of career transition is so relevant right now? Uh, yeah, um, I think we'll probably talk about this as the conversation goes on. Um, but the, the biggest disconnect right now between um, education, like K through 12 and higher education and educators and this group of people and um, everybody who's not that, which we're just calling for the sake of easiness of, so it's industry, mm -hmm. um, they don't know how the other one works. Um, they just, they just, they just don't understand it. Um, a lot of that, I, I think that there are reasons. I think that education hiring system is very antiquated. Um, and that plays into it. Um, some, some of that disconnect, like they just operate differently. Um, but one of the things that I've been experiencing a lot just over the past couple of years and talking to, um, just people, uh, like friends that are in industry. Um, a lot of the folk I've been talking to on LinkedIn, there's always this hesitation when it comes to a business hiring someone who has a PhD, like someone who's coming out of academia because of that, that there's just this disconnect of communication. They just don't know how to talk to each other. Um, and like I, like I mentioned before, to, to leave academia, to make that decision to leave is, is a hard decision to make. Pre-COVID, the types of academics, I think, that were um, leaving for industry were leaving for very, very different reasons. Um, some of them were, they, they wanted to leave and they wanted to get out. Some of them had been, um, they, they had a reason to leave. What makes this moment so relevant is that so many people like myself and like my wife, um, we didn't want to. We don't want to leave higher ed. I, I, there is nothing that makes me happier than walking into a room full of students and mm -hmm. saying like, hey, how shit today? Right? <laughs> I, I love talking to my students like I'm a real person um, and making that connection because I believe that's where learning happens is that connection. Um, and I, I, I don't want to leave that. Um, and I think that this moment, we need to find um, a way to channel these passions for people because they can be channeled in an extremely productive way. You give an educator a one month learning curve for your company culture, they're going to be one of your best employees, I bet. Such a great couple of points there. My own background in terms of my professional experience is in the broader domain of education. And I agree that there is a, a resistance in education to people who are not necessarily from the teaching world to come into their space and, and sort of share ideas. And I can imagine it being that similar resistance on the other end in the industry world. Um, but yes, and that's anytime there's like resistance around a desired path. So you, you, as an example, wanted to stay in academia and obviously there's all of this energy built up around that and now you can't do it anymore that can create a lot of movement and motivation for people to make this transition even even bigger than it already sounds like it was before the pandemic started it's it's interesting it's it's just a i can really relate to what you're saying there because educators are very passionate about what they do nine times out of ten and they're nine times out of 10 are very, very good at mm -hmm. what they do when they do mm -hmm. it. Yeah. 
it kind of goes back to the episode that we did with Simone Nordegraff mm-hmm. uh, around finding opportunity in times of challenge. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're taking a situation that's been so challenging for you and using your skills in a different way. So you're kind of thinking outside of the box, which I think is really cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm trying to. <laughs> for sure. Um, you mentioned some of the challenges that academics face when considering a transition. Um, what else, what are some of the other things that come up when you're thinking about moving into industry that scares you or that you're worried about? Um, oh, okay. So I can answer that in two ways. Here's my surface level question, right? Um, that is actually kind of the selfish reason um, uh, is basically, um, oh man, like, what do I do? Um, mm-hmm. Like, like it's just this, that, like that biggest challenge um, at this point is like, I thought I had a path that led to tenure, you know, and then mm-hmm. full professorship 15, down the, 15 years down the road. And it's just, it is reprocessing what a future looks like mm-hmm. that doesn't involve me standing in front of a classroom um, and doing research. Um, and, and so I think that's one of the, the, the big challenges is under like kind of just reprocessing. Um, like one of the things I want to focus on with this event and this initiative, um, lots of coaches, they talk about transferable skills. Like you need to focus on what's transferable, what's transferable, what's transferable. Um, I get that. Um, and I don't really like that phrase. I prefer how can we translate, um, our Mm. value because when we translate value, um, we're kind of operating on this idea that, that it, it already exists and that we have it and we don't need to justify it. Um, we just need to translate it. And that's what, like I was talking about before, mm. academics don't know how to translate their value. Mm. They don't know how to communicate it in a way um, that industry wants to hear. Um, on the other side of that, um, industry, like I was talking to my brother about all this. He's an international business dude, like doing deals in Saudi Arabia and uh, Mali and Africa. And what else is it? It's like Brazil, I think. Like I was talking about all this and he's like, I do not understand academics. I just don't get it. I don't know if I ever will. Um, And so like there's there's this resistance on the other side because um, academics are often elitist like we can sound like assholes a lot of the time and that's a turnoff people don't like being condescended to um i don't like it um academics don't like it and they do it to each other all the time um and so so that's like that that surface level of basically like oh man like how is this impacting me like what are my immediate challenges um but i think in a very real way um the deeper challenge for me was um, realizing what I had been teaching wrong when I was teaching my mm-hmm. students. Um, like I was, like I teach professional communication. I teach technical communication. We do resumes, we do cover letters, we do all of these things, um, these professional documents and me realizing that, um, I wasn't as up on the trends as I needed to be. Um, and because I didn't understand how the world works through LinkedIn, um, this is not a plug for LinkedIn, just understanding <laughs> that that's where people go to show their relationships in a way that a data algorithm can process it in a way that a recruiter can then find me. 
um, I was I was not preparing my students. And so one of the very first things that I did, like through this identity crisis of me realizing that the, the things, the techniques I was using to teach my students were not working. Um, I, I emailed all my, I emailed at my past university. I had, I taught about a thousand students. I emailed all of them. I said, I'm sorry. I, uh, I did you wrong. Um, I have learned if you are in need of any support of your documents, please reach out to me. Um, and please do that. Like I, I, I want to be here and want to help. Um, awesome. and so I think that's one of the challenges, like that, that, that for me, like really like, um, internally was, um, shit, like I, I screwed up. Hmm. Yeah, that's understandable. And it, it's a world that you weren't in. So it makes sense that you wouldn't have all of those details, right? Yeah. And, and it makes it like, that's a really weird way. Okay. Cause it's not a world that I was in, but here's the thing. I absolutely am right. But for an academic like me to think that that's not a world that I am in is what makes me elitist, mm. right? Um, mm. Like I had, I was having this one discussion with a endowed tenured professor at my last uh, institution um, or previous to that. Um, and, and his response was, I'm not in industry. I have nothing to do with industry. And my response was, who are your friends and your family? Who are your students? They're going into industry. Like for you to think that you're not part of that is what makes you elitist. Mm. And so, yeah, just like that, just like, I should, I should be aware that that is what I was operating in and I wasn't, and that was a disservice. I was being arrogant. So I'm just want to, I want to jump right on that. Is shedding the elitist vibe for the lack of a better term. Is that a really key part of becoming ready and capable to make this transition you're talking about? Um, I think that this is an extremely humbling time mm. for academia right now, like in a very real way, I think it's, or it should be. Um, and for those that aren't being humbled right now, um, those aren't the professors you want to take a class from. Mm. Fair enough. Where have you gone for support in overcoming some of these challenges? Um, I, I wanted to go to my academic network. Like I'm getting kind of choked up right now. Like that, that's where I wanted to go. And I wanted to rely and to, to be this. And all I got was, I'm so sorry. Like this sucks. Which, you know, what, what can they say? Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I wanted, um, that's why I, I started this whole initiative is because I wanted people to be able to do something to help, to not just say, that sucks, I'm sorry. No, here's, that sucks, let me endorse you for mm -hmm. some skills. Like, let me write you a recommendation authentically. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I, that's where I wanted to go and I couldn't find it. And that's when I turned into, um, I, I was like, okay, I was applying to 150 jobs um, over like three weeks. I had like one interview that didn't go well. And I was like, I need to reassess my relationship with um, this LinkedIn platform. Um, and since then, I cannot believe the amount of support and love, like genuine love that people have put out. Um, 
when last week, um, yeah, last week when we found out my wife was laid off, I had four people, complete strangers, reach out to me and offer help. Hmm. Um, That's amazing. Wow. And it is amazing. I'm so, I'm so grateful for that. And what is harder is to pair that with the apathy mm-hmm. of my academic community um, is sad. Um, and that's like, I, I want people, like, that's why I want to share my story. Um, it's because I don't know. Like, I think people need support mm-hmm. um, in a very real way. Right. And it sounds like this is something that will give hope to a lot of people who are in a similar spot to you who might be facing that and not know where to go for support. So I think that that's really great for people to hear that you were able to find support outside of your current network. Yeah, because they're, um, even if the people, and this is my message to anybody who's facing um, any hardship right now, um, is that if you feel like there's nobody in your immediate sphere that really just gives a shit, um, that there are people that do, that do care. Um, and they can be complete strangers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Such an important message. So important. Thank you for sharing all of that. I can feel that right now, just whoa, right in the chest. I appreciate you being vulnerable with us. No other way. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about what would make, like, why would a typical academic be a great industry professional as they make that transition? Here's the way I would, um, here's how I would answer that in this moment right now. Like going back to what I was saying before that academia is not separate from industry. In fact, we have one um, panelist um, who's going to be talking about um, how there actually isn't a difference. Like higher education is an industry. Um, Mm. And so if you are successful in your job, you are going to be able to find an equivalent in a different industry. What's great about education is how versatile it is. Um, So I am like, let's say like your your traditional um, K through 12 teacher um, or even um, college professor, right? Their day to day is classroom management, project management, um they have to teach lessons which is content development they have to design courses which is learning and design specialties they have to uh work with um with community partners right that's marketing um lots of them they have their own research agendas you have to be your own solopreneur or that's kind of redundant right um but um i think that this miscommunication, this this translation idea of value is what's is is this problem, um, and we we say and we're seeing this especially now um, amid this this pandemic that like we should be paying teachers more. We're like yeah, like we should be doing these things more. Like my teacher, like my kids' teacher is great. We should be paying them more. Um, well, here's going to be the reality that with school shutting down, um, is that those teachers are going to get paid more but not to teach your kid. Hmm. They're going to get paid more to go do something else um, because they have value. Like this is an incredibly 
untapped market that's never we've never seen this before of honestly this amount of educated passionate people who aren't in it for the money mm-hmm. like yeah how how often have we seen like when did we see that group of people hit the market um i want to make sure that they don't get screwed over like i want to make sure that they find places where they're happy and if anything that's just going to drive up the pay for the teachers that we do have i was like oh hey like I need to compete with Nike um, in order to mm-hmm. land this kindergarten teacher. Okay, I should um, up my game. That's a That's big awesome. mind shift, yeah. You mentioned a few of the kind of hard skills that teachers have. Can you also talk a little bit to some of the soft skills that educators are bringing? Um, yeah, I would say for an example of soft skills, please see hashtag higher higher ed um like this was all like this is all soft skills like right now i'm i have this is my first podcast that i'm on but i'm i've lined up to be on three others i think um just by talking to people um like using those soft skills of like Mm -hmm. reaching out um really with this this um i hope authentic humility um, and saying, hey, can we um, can we work together? Can we do something together? Because I think that's what soft skills are at their core, are trying to work, trying to collaborate with others. Um, and I think that teachers are just natural, or they should be, educators should be natural collaborators. Um, and that's why, like there's, um, I have a, a friend, he does data science in Jacksonville. Um, and he was talking about, uh, they do a bunch of, um, staffing agencies and his, the owner of his company, um, he said, I tried to hire academics. Um, like I went to a staffing agency, they specialized in training academics for industry. I went through, I hired them, I put them to work. They're the worst. They are the worst people to put into a position where I just want to sit there and do something. If I need somebody to tell other people what to do, that's great. I'll hire an academic. Otherwise, I'm not going to. And my friend, he was like, and that's why you shouldn't hire academics. And I said, (laughs) no, no. That means you're marketing to the wrong people. Those um, leadership roles or management roles are very much or should be collaborative driven roles, like those soft skill roles. And so, yeah, if you you hire somebody with a PhD, uh, it's going to take a lot of pride for them to swallow honestly, to do an entry-level position. But we also need to understand that they, they have an expertise that doesn't um, warrant an entry-level position. Um, so if you're going to hire an academic um, or an educator, give them a role where they will thrive and they will fucking thrive. Appreciate that. So what you've talked about some of the specific roles that you could see academic professionals filling in in industry in industry settings. Is there anything else that comes to mind as far as how you can see academics fitting into, let's say, different industries moving forward? Um, yeah, I actually I was having a conversation um, with one of our um, industry affiliates that we have with the organization, um, and she like the the system that she has is. Like she kept asking me this kind of this question um, of like what industry are your like what industry are you going into like what industries are these people going into, 
um, and then we can figure out what roles they should be. And I said, mm, when you're approaching educators, you need to inverse that, right? Don't ask what industry they're going to go into because higher education or education in general is a mirror to the industry. Mm. Like, like what happens in the industry is being taught in education, vice versa. Like it's a reciprocal relationship. Um, and so I love that you asked like, like, so what are these specific roles? Um, because every, um, every industry needs content developers. Um, every industry needs technical editors. Um, every industry needs managers. Like, it's like basically some of those, like when, the, when you're kind of getting into like those hard technical skills, if you have a hard technical background, then you can make that transition. And that's one of the reasons why those positions are paid more in academia anyways, because they have to compete with the market. Mm -hmm. um, when you're going into like the more humanities bend, um, then you can sort of like getting into some of those um, advisory or consulting type mm -hmm. positions. Uh, there was one dude, I can't remember his name. I read an article a few years ago, but he, he had his PhD in philosophy and he had a goal of making a million dollars um, by a certain age. And so he went to Silicon Valley and started consulting as um, a consulting philosopher for Silicon Valley. Um, cool. he, like he would sit in boardroom meetings and question the way that people thought because Silicon Valley recognized its own groupthink process. Mm -hmm. And so he marketed his ability to come in and be like, you know what? I'm just going to sit here and ask questions and they paid him for it. And he That's made a awesome. million dollars. Um, like, so like if you get into any of these like advisory roles, consulting roles, um, like they, they start, like once you go into um, specific industries, they start getting specialized names. And so that's why I'm kind of like staying in that more upper level of description, yeah. um, which is how I think and how I want to use big data later in the future anyway, with like job listings and other people. That's another story. So to answer your question in a different way, um, talk to the academic, like talk to the educator, like find out what their passion is, but a recruiter is not going to be able to sit there and do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what, that's the, the value of finding a coach or if not paying a coach or like finding a friend who knows how to talk to you about what you want to do to have those conversations about what can I translate? What can I transfer and kind of play around with the search engines because there's, there's going to be an equivalent position. Um, because that's just because the industries, they are industries of a larger picture, but these particular industries are mirrors of each other. It, it made me think of um, an episode that we did earlier with Garrett Mintz on horizontal mentorship and how that might be a really great way for a beneficial relationship with both somebody from academics and somebody in industry to share knowledge and, you know, gain some of that support that they might be looking for. You know, I, I love that you said that because uh, oh, that's just so wonderful. Um, because um, I was going back and forth about this idea for my event. Because um, usually, you know, you only have one keynote, right? Um, but I'm, I'm going to have two. Um, and I was trying to figure out, like, how am I going to justify this, like, you know, just in my head and because I'm neurotic with things. Um, yeah, so what I'm really excited about these, um, these, these two panels and how they are mirrors of each other. I have one that is, um, that is full of industry coaches, right? Um, like some of the, the best names that are out there. Um, we have Kerry Twig, uh, JT O'Donnell, 
uh, Jamie Alexis Reyes Bruner and Kyle Elliott. Um, that's one of our keynote. And then the other one is going to be um, those who specialize in higher ed. Um, and that one is still being finalized um, with that one. Um, but just kind of exactly like it's that horizontal community. Like I want this event to be, let's check our egos at the door, both mm-hmm. educators and recruiters and career coaches and everybody. Let's just come together and let's just understand that we all have value here. And let's understand like, what, how can we figure out what is best for everybody? Because we don't want, recruiters don't want high turnover rates. Uh, people don't want to keep looking for jobs. So what does that mean? Like we actually have to like, listen to each other so here's a career panel and here's an academic panel and let's engage and discuss uh there's a big win-win equation that you just talked about right with job seekers and recruiters and if they can all get on the same page the whole process for everyone just goes so much more smoothly a lot more things get done and it really sounds like your event and i think we'll talk a little bit more about it uh, even more concretely toward the end of the show but um is just a catalyst for this equation to move even faster, which I think is really exciting. And I, I commend you for this effort. Thank you. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I wanted. Uh, I Yeah, thank you. Because I, I did, I cannot, on I cannot as a person, I identify as an ethics scholar. I cannot look at what's happening and watch injustices become further embedded mm-hmm. into the new normal. Um, like I can't sit back and watch it and then like an academic would comment on it in an article in two years. I don't want to do that. I'd, I'd rather shape it now. Um, and that's what I want this event, this catalyst to be of um, let's engage in this new process as, as idealistic as it sounds, one where we focus on helping and caring for each other. Um, and not, it's not just the bottom dollar. Yeah. It can't be anymore. We're seeing that in a pandemic. Love it totally true just on a so maybe more like a fast facts type of question here mm-hmm. are there any big do's and don'ts for hired folks uh, that they should be aware of as they begin or continue with their transition into a new industry um here is my big don't <laughs> um don't dis- don't don't despair right like you're going to want to um, and if you need to like dwell in that abyss for a minute, that's okay because it's a shitty situation. Um, but the thing that you need to do that you need to do is to connect. Um, you need to connect with people. Like if that is on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or uh, zoom or whatever like social distance coffee or whatever it is you need people um for so many reasons you need to connect um there's all the the added advantages of finding a stronger network and um getting a job all that kind of stuff you need to connect to people to know you're not alone um, to be able to complain about it, um, and not have somebody be like, well, you know, everything's going to be okay. Just time will tell, right? Um, <laughs> the grass is always greener, um, and other cliches. Um, I have found 
the people who offer me um, surface level condolences. Um, and then I found the people who offer me help. Um, the other thing that you need to do is to be that person. Um, be that helpful person. Um, everything else, honestly, you can read about on the internet about how to make your resume better, your cover letters better. There are people that are far more qualified to talk about that than I am. And you need to figure out uh, what that looks like for you. But the common denominator with all of that is connecting with other humans. I would love I would love to just add on to that too, because I think that this applies so much to all people who are going through transitions. Everything you just said applies so well um, to anybody who's been laid off or who's you know dealing with a shitty situation right now is to not be afraid to ask for help too. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the one of the beautiful, beautiful things that COVID has brought us is a common shitstorm. Like <laughs> everybody can say, like everybody in the entire world can relate to this hardship. Um, that's never happened. True. Yeah, absolutely. That I know of. I don't know. I'm sure it has. I'm, I'm young. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd all like call ourselves fairly young and spry and very, very real and authentic, especially on this show, which I think is going to make this episode pretty neat. We, um, we have some questions that we like to ask of all of our guests that come onto our show. I will, Lisa and I have started to split this section up. Uh, so Lisa, why don't you start off with this, this time? Yeah. So, um, the question that we like to ask everybody first, because we try not to take ourselves too seriously is what is the most fun that you've had in your career so far? Um, okay. Which career I would say. <laughs> um, so my very first career, um, I was 14 and I still think this is one of my favorite moments to reminisce on. I was working at Chick-fil-A and my boss, Paul, uh, he told me to go get, um, a bucket because you know, Chick-fil-A has lots of pickles. So he told me to go get a bucket of pickles. And so I go up and I, the storeroom and I bring down a bucket of pickles or what I thought was a bucket of pickles. And I looked at the ingredients and I said, Paul, man, uh, there's a bunch of cucumbers in this bucket of pickles. <laughs> because, and he just looked at me and he's like, Eric, are you, are you serious right now? Like, is that, is that real? Um, and so that was one, uh, that was one of my most fun moments. Um, I would say as far as like uh, a more recent fun moment. Um, so you'll, I think that you're going to like, you'll see, or at least I did um, on uh, social media and stuff like when COVID was um, really hitting the United States hard um, or at least people were realizing that it was hitting the United States hard in March and April people were really 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 sad about conferences being canceled people were talking about CV lines and the work that they did and all this other stuff um, the like those things are great about conferences, right? But the, 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 what we love 
what people, anybody like, it's just, is the connecting with people, the networking part. So the most fun that I had was I was in, I don't even remember what city it was in. It was in Michigan. I think it was in Lansing and we had, um, it was at a conference with a bunch of people and we all got really, really drunk and sang karaoke. Um, and it was just the best night that I've had with those colleagues and like people that I had just met like for that, that day. Um, and I'd only seen them for that 48 hour period um, are still some of the people that I'm like, Oh, Hey, like I look forward to engaging with this person when I see them next. Like I, I make a point mm -hmm. uh, to connect with them. Yeah. And so I would say uh, a bucket of pickles and uh, karaoke. That's awesome. <laughs> Amazing. Everyone answers that it. question in their own unique way. We're always excited to hear the, the answer. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Um, the next question is around risk because most people take some sort of risk in their career at some point. So what's the biggest risk that you've taken in your career and how did it turn out? Uh, not well, it didn't turn out well. I, let me use this word. I wonder, um, if my exit from my past university was, um, COVID was just more of used, um, as an excuse, like, okay, like, here we go we can get rid of this motherfucker um, because um, I, I, I joined the, this, this small program, um, student success, um, academic success. Um, and at, at, the, at the time there was a, a fee that was associated with the course um, as a developmental writing course. And the Washington state legislation said, you know, hey, we've already paid for that education once. Why should we pay for that again? It's remedial. I just did air quotes for our listeners um, and we're not going to pay for it again. So they, it's like, all right, you're going to have to take this fee. You can't progress in school. This is not going to help you graduate in the slightest. It's not going to count towards anything. Um, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Um, and they're already the students who are being, they got shafted in the K through 12 system and now they're being financially displaced even more. And so I came into this moment um, of advocacy from my, um, from my immediate supervisor, who's an amazing woman, um, who also just left the university um, of her own volition. Um, and, um, and she advocated, she talked with the student council to get rid of this fee and they did, they got rid of the fee and it was wonderful as a celebration that we had. Um, but then they also said, well, you know, that fee is what is paying your guys' salary. Mm -hmm. um, and so now you're, program and funding is going to be cut so while they like in this moment um well that's not necessarily the case what they did was okay uh it's going to be reduced um we're going to take the developmental writing program and we're going to shift it back into the english department um because i wasn't associated with the english department at the time um and the proposal that was put forth I mean, it had its merits, it was good, um, it had advantages, but it benefited the department under the new university budget model. Um, and it reinforced barriers that we were trying to take away um, by, because, you know, it's, it can be demoralizing to have to be told you have to take a remedial English class um, or remedial math class. Um, and we don't want students feeling demoralized. Like one of the students, one of the reasons why I was successful as a teacher in those classes is because I 
I told them, it's like, hey, you, you would not be here in my class if you did not know how to write. Like, you, you could not be in my class if you didn't know how to write. Like, you need to own that you're a writer. Um, and so I built on that value that they brought to the classroom. So basically, there were two, like, I advocated the hell um, out of a different developmental writing model um, that would benefit the university at large, that would benefit students at large. Um, and I took it all the way to the top as high as I could to the interim vice provost. Um, and in a conversation with her, um, I, I was advocating for this, um, I was advocating for this program. Um, I, real, I, I learned that she didn't even read the proposal that I had sent her. Um, and she, you know, was like saying these things like, you know, like she said that like our program wasn't working um, which half of it wasn't because we didn't have buy-in from faculty and that was a problem. But I told her, I was like, are the students that, so my students, like I designed the program and so I'm teaching the program the way it's meant to be teach, meant to be taught and my students are doing better. And she said, why? And I said, it's because I care about them. I care about them as people and I love them. Uh, I didn't say I love them. That was the, the motivation behind it. And she said, this, this will stick with me forever. Um, she said, you're telling me that by caring about your students, they're going to learn more. And I said, yes, absolutely. I was very, very excited. And she literally threw her head back and laughed at me. Um, and that's, that's kind of when I realized in that moment higher education is industry. I continue to advocate. I continue to do so. I pissed off a lot of people, honestly. Um, and I don't regret it. I would do it again. Um, that's why I'm in my basement, <laughs> my, my home yeah. because of that. So it was a big risk. Um, one that did not pay off monetarily. I feel in the moments of like not despair, I feel good about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be one of those things that you look back on though in years to come and see that there was some learning or value in that experience. What would you say is the best piece of career advice you've ever received? I think this might sound arrogant to say. You can always try it, it and we can pull it I out. I think it's going to sound arrogant. Okay. <laughs> um, here is the best piece of career advice I have learned. Um, I don't know if any one person um, ever told this to me um, as much as like, it was just kind of like this, a little bit of influence here and there, just kind of like who I am as a personality. Um, but the best piece of career advice is to always be ready to pivot. Always. Um, if you are complacent in your job, someone else is going to come and do it better. Like there is, there is someone else better at your job than you that your company has not hired yet. There yeah. is um, like, that's the, the world that we live in. I mean, look at the unemployment numbers in the United States. It's insane. Um, you need to be able to look for those opportunities to pivot. Um, yeah. So that's what, okay. 
Um, and then the best piece of advice that I did receive, I can't remember who it was from, but it was, it was the value of collaboration. My dear friend Data, um, when we were in at Clemson University, she was uh, a year ahead of me. Um, she's now um, teaching broadcasting in Manila, in the Philippines, I believe. Um, and I was, I'm the type of personality that can be abrasive. And I, at the time, was being abrasive to some folk. Um, and she, she told me that I needed to, to, to stop. She told me that I needed to listen to others. Um, so the best piece of advice I've ever received is to listen to other people for career advice. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, the best piece of advice I would ever give would be to be ready to pivot um, because if you don't, somebody else is. Cool. So real. Appreciate that. Talk to us a little bit about, share with our listener some information about where they can find you. Talk a little bit about your event that's coming up. Let her, let her rip right here. Uh, um, I, 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 am, I am so elated about how big this is getting at least i think it's going to be i i know we have now we don't have um we're up to 50 panelists and presenters um we have a huge footprint as far as people who um are getting involved um we have up to i think four industry affiliates um who are going to be like saying hey here's some services that we offer feel free to do that um we're also um so the event itself, yeah, here we go. So that's all the great stuff, right? Here's what, so hashtag uh, higher, higher ed is, um, it's gonna be on August 6th and 7th. Um, it's a two day event. It's free for anybody to participate. Um, it's designed specifically for K through 12 and higher ed educators, um, administrative staff, um, anybody who's in education, who's facing this transition um, of like this dismantling of education from COVID. Um, you are welcome to come. We want you to come. Um, if you know someone, we also want you to come. Like the, our, our network is only as strong as the people that we are connected to. Um, and so we need more people that are there. Um, we're going to have workshops um, from industry career coaches um, that are anywhere from salary negotiation to LinkedIn profiles, um, like how to reframe, how to translate your value um, so those are going to be spread throughout the two days. Um, we also have several, we're, we're growing to the point now where we're doing a series of thought leadership panels. Um, so we have one that's going to be on race and racism in, um, higher ed versus industry, like kind of like a compare and contrast mm -hmm. discussion. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, cybersecurity. Like if you, like, how do you get into cybersecurity as a field? How do you maintain um, like as you're growing your network, how do you do so um, in a secure way um, along with um, like how would a humanities person fit into the cybersecurity world? Um, and we also have, um, yeah, panels on maintaining your, um, your identity, your academic identity while transitioning into other industries. Like you can still like play both of those fields. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's really, it's growing, it's huge. Um, and I'm really, really excited at how many people want to participate, um, and to, and to share their knowledge. 
um, one of the things that uh, we are starting is doing as well, um, you know, because as you heard, unfortunately, we're both unemployed, my wife and I. Um, and oh, it, that reminds me too, we have financial coaches that are there. So they're going to be like, you're going through a pandemic. Well, what should you be doing to reduce your costs? You know, because we had to do that too. So anyway, all this event, like it's starting to incur some costs and stuff, uh, which they don't mind doing. Um, but um, so the idea that that um, I collaborated with on and that we're doing is we're going to start holding like a, a raffle. Um, like you can enter to win. Like, so um, most of the coaches who are, I'm hoping that all the coaches who are participating um, are donating sessions. Um, so like, Hey, like, you know, come listen to me and then um, win a free uh, session. And so people can buy like a raffle ticket and that way it'll help so, like us kind of like mitigate some of the costs that we're incurring um, on this yeah. um, while being able to give um, help to other people. I, yeah. Uh, JT O'Donnell from um, work at daily.com. She is, donating three one-year memberships um which is, are two hundred dollars a piece um cool. to her uh academic coach or not academic to her uh career coaching service um awesome. and yeah so like we're like and others are, are coming in as well as far as like donating um services and um really like it was in one conversation um it was really it was a really sobering moment um I was talking with one of our keynote speakers for um, the academic panel um, going to into industry. And that's uh, Jen Polk. Um, her is, is from PhD to life. Um, and she asked, you know, it's like, Hey, like, do you, like, is there a place to donate? Because people are going to want to donate. And I just kind of like, mm. like, really? Like, <laughs> that'd be awesome. I mean, like, that'd be great. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of got what I was thinking. I'm seeing people, losing their jobs i'm seeing people being laid off in real time and just come like come and learn come know that you're not alone and uh just really find that connection that you need it's been a pleasure having you thanks so much eric it's been a really cool cool conversation with you you're a real dude <laughs> thank you um i appreciate that it's been it's been a really fun conversation thank you so much for having me i appreciate it yeah. We'll call it a wrap at that. Thank you so much for joining us again this week for the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Our guest, Eric James Stevens, hashtag hire, hire ed. Check it out. It's coming out in just a couple of weeks from now. And we hope you'll be with us again soon. Take care. <laughs>